Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back. Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Joe Beamer and Brenda Alacy with you for 50 more minutes here on the day of the big game when Tom Brady gets his seventh Super Bowl victory. We are talking this hour to Dr. Tom Russo to kick things off. Dr. Russo, good morning. Good morning. Now, we had Dr. Kevin Hardwick on at 10 o'clock, and he had just gone and gotten his vaccine. I believe he got the Moderna, the two-shot one. This week, the Johnson & Johnson shot got back in the news. It's the one-shot vaccine. What are the pros and cons of this vaccine? Well, the advantages of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine are, one, the single shot, so one and you're done. Uh, Secondly, it is going to be less expensive to produce. And then lastly, um, the logistics are much more straightforward. So it could be uh, stored in a regular refrigerator, none of this uh, fancy freezers and uh, challenges with uh, uh, transportation. Uh, So those are all the uh, significant merits of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Uh, Dr. Russo, great to have you on board again this Sunday morning. And I was curious about uh, the numbers that we just had in our newscast. It looks like the the trend is going down, fewer cases being reported. Overall, uh, from your perspective, are you seeing a decrease in the number of COVID cases, and are you optimistic about the way it's headed? (laughs) Brenda, you know I'm an optimist, so I'm really (laughs) excited the way things are headed. Uh, You know, we've looked really good here in Erie County and really – for most part, the country overall, except for a few hot spots over the last several weeks. And though we still really are at twice the level of daily new cases in this country than we were uh, in the middle of the summer when we were really at our best, we're heading in the right direction. And so that's great news. It's probably due to uh, multiple factors. Uh, uh, we got over that sort of holiday, uh, you know, behavioral uh, sort of laxity where we gathered and that resulted in we sort of had the twin peaks of cases, the post-Thanksgiving and then the post-religious New Year's holiday cases, and we've gotten past that at this point. You know, hopefully Super Bowl today and St. Patty's Day coming up won't be some additional bumps that we see, so keeping our fingers crossed. So that's good. The other thing is, unfortunately, probably a significant number of individuals in this country have been infected, probably 30 uh, percent plus. And so as a result, there's fewer hosts for the virus to infect, and that's likely contributing to this downward trend. And then lastly, though, you know, increasingly over time, the vaccine will be kicking in. We really haven't vaccinated quite enough people so that it's you know, behavior and probably prior infections are the major drivers of the downward curve right now. But I expect over time, vaccination is going to be an increasingly important factor. And that uh, also speaks to herd immunity, right, Dr. Russo? If you get enough people vaccinated, how does that work in terms of the actual number? So 
we're guessing right now probably uh, on the order of, uh, of 75 to 80% of the population needs some form of immunity. Now, for immunity from infection, what we call natural immunity, um, is certainly going to last probably for at least six months. Um, the magnitude and the durability of that immunity is probably not as good as the vaccine. So eventually, we'd like everyone to get vaccinated, regardless of whether you've been infected or not. But on the short term, that's going to contribute. So if we add those people together with vaccinated people, you know, if we could get to that 75 or 80 percent mark, um, you will, will be approaching our herd immunity, which should really help bring the situation under control. And not a moment too soon, because it feels like every time you turn around and you feel a little bit of hope about getting this thing under control, uh, you hear about these new variants from the UK, from South Africa. Uh, Dr. Russo, what do, what do you know about those particular variants? And for those folks who have been vaccinated already, are they protected from them? I think we're going to be okay with the variants that have been described to date. That doesn't mean that in some time in the future there might be another variant that's described that the vaccine is less uh, active against. We do have some real-life data from both the Johnson & Johnson vaccine and another vaccine from uh, a company called Novavax as well, where they actually tested in Central America and South Africa where these variants are circulating. And... When you look at the numbers at first, you go, oh, my gosh, because the efficacy was significantly less. It was in the order of magnitude of, uh, you know, maybe in the high 50s or so uh, for these vaccines. However, the good news was that even though these vaccines weren't quite as efficacious in protecting against symptomatic infection, there was no severe disease where people were hospitalized and no one died. So I think that if we get, you know, enough people vaccinated even if there's some variants that, uh, you know, were able to infect some individuals and develop mild symptomatic disease, if we could convert this lethal disease into the common cold, I think we could live with that. So right now I think we're okay, um, but I think we need to keep an eye on these variants and make sure something doesn't arise in the future where we may need to adjust our vaccine formulations and give some people some boosters. Yeah, Dr. Russo, with these variants, does it mean, I know you said make the effects like the common cold, so a few years down the road, we could be talking about COVID in the same the same way we talk about the flu, where we have ways to make the effects of the disease less so it's not as lethal, but this is going to be something that four or five years from now we're still dealing with, not as a pandemic, but the virus itself will still be around? Yeah, I think it's likely going to be a keeper. I think it's going to join our pantheon of uh, respiratory viruses. Uh, And again, Joe, as you pointed out, if uh, either through, you know, a more durable vaccine immunity, natural infection, or boosters, whatever it takes, if this, this becomes a nuisance virus during the respiratory season, Uh, I think we can live with that. And remember, you know, we've learned a lesson this year that masks and distancing decrease all respiratory virus infections. The flu season, knock on wood, has been non-existent. So, you know, people may adopt the attitude is, you know, when that respiratory virus is circulating, you know, through our community, through the office, through school, maybe I'm going to down that mask, you know, for a couple of weeks so I just could dodge even that nuisance cold. The doctor is in. Dr. Tom Russo is a professor in chief of infectious disease at the UB School of Medicine, 803-0930 to join us. Uh, doctor, speaking of masks, uh, 
Dr. Fauci, I believe, is now uh, saying that we should wear two masks, if at all possible. What's your view of the double mask suggestion? Well, here's how I look at it. And, and to be clear, we don't have any data, real life data, in people about double masking. But I think in certain scenarios, it makes perfect sense. So if you have a high quality mask, if you have an N95, if you have uh, a KN95 that is, uh, you feel is legitimate and not a knockoff, if you have what we call a KF94 from uh, Korea, if you have uh, a German equivalent, or if you have a good multi-layered, three-layered cloth mask uh, with nice dense fibers, plus minus in the filter, that'll get it done. Likewise, if you've got a a surgical mask, a triple-layered surgical mask that fits well and doesn't have gaps on the sides, that should suffice as well. However, if you have a surgical mask that isn't optimally fitting with some gaps or if you have some inferior quality cloth masks, then double masking, as long as it's comfortable and it doesn't deter you from taking off those masks and you continue to wear them, really makes sense. Uh, a nice cloth mask has a good wrap around it with a surgical mask underneath that uh, makes up for those gaps. And even though we don't have data in people, we have some experimental data uh, in mannequins that suggest that that's going to be helpful. So that's how I would approach it. The devil's in the details. It really depends on the nature and quality of masks and the fit of your mask, importantly, as well. And if there's any questions that you have a deficiency in any of those areas, I think double masking is okay. Now, Dr. Russo, I don't mean to complain. I have uh, been wearing my mask since we were uh, told to wear masks. But looking to the summer, the vaccines are, uh, are out. Do you think it's likely places like gyms will be able to ease up on masking by the summer? Yeah, I, th- I think so. If we could get the number of cases down to zero or close to zero, you know, a little bit of a wild card in here may be that certain events or venues may be interested in whether you've been vaccinated or not, right? And that may be your ticket to be able to go to these places uh, without masks. Just to keep in mind, if you've been vaccinated, that really affords a high level of protection where you're unlikely to develop symptomatic disease. And even if you get symptomatic disease, it can be very mild. But we still are uncertain of whether, uh, you know, you've been vaccinated, you could asymptomatically get infected and transmit to others. And so, uh, you know, in, when we have discordant groups of people, some vaccinated and some not vaccinated, you know, uh, we may need to lean towards, uh, you know, protecting those individuals who are vaccinated people need to wear masks. But when those cases get down, when we hit those critical vaccine marks, we might be able to get rid of those masks. I think it, there's a high likelihood of that. Dr. Russo, we have a text question, uh, 803-0930, the Volkswagen of Orchard Park text board. Uh, Texter says, how long does the protection last for the vaccine? And I just want to add, does that does that vary based on the vaccine you get? So the the short answer is we don't know. However, what we do now know from natural infection is it looks like the level of antibodies that can inactivate the virus for the overwhelming majority of people, 90% plus, are going to last for six plus months. We also know that the vaccine confers even a higher degree of protection than natural infection in most cases. So, you know, I think that uh, assuming we don't run into any uh, uh, struggles with some of these variants, uh, to that uh, they've changed to the degree that really makes us concerned about a vaccination. I'm sure we're going to get at least a year and hopefully more out of those vaccines, but we're just going to have to continue to follow this and see.
Dr. Russo, I've talked to a lot of people, friends, family members who were ill about a year ago before COVID became such a known uh, entity in our lives, you know, this dark cloud that we're <laughs> under with COVID. Um, and they said, you know, I think I may have had it because I had XYZ symptoms, all the symptoms that we know about now, and they had never been this sick before. And so I'm wondering, is there a way to test uh, if these, if people in general have had the, t uh, if they suspect they had the COVID uh, disease, if they have antibodies that can be tested now, therefore making them immune, is it something that's viable? Yeah, an antibody test would sort if you've had a prior infection. Our antibody tests are not optimally sensitive uh, and in certain individuals particularly if you've been asymptomatic or had minimal symptoms those antibodies tend to decrease a little bit more quickly than those that have been more seriously ill but that would be the way to sort out that issue at the end of the day though if that individual was infected way back in the beginning you know march or they maybe thought they even had it earlier than that and the likelihood of that is small but it's certainly possible um, again, vaccination would be in order with those individuals because the vaccine will give a much stronger and almost certainly a more durable or prolonged uh, protective response. For people who have had the vaccine, um, I've read that it takes, what, about 10 days to actually benefit from the vaccine, that you're not really out of the woods until some of that time has gone by. And then it's also the case for the second dose. Is that accurate, doctor? Yeah, I would really put that number closer to 12 to 14 days. I kind of like the two-week mark where you'll get uh, start to develop some protection. It's not optimal protection at that point, and you need the second shot to optimize that and make it more durable. But uh, by the two-week mark, there's a significant degree of protection. doesn't mean you want to let your guard down with public health measures at that point. Uh, but certainly you're, you're no longer immunologically naive, and you could take a little bit of a breath that, you know, if, um, if you do, uh, for whatever reason, get infected uh, at that two-week-plus mark after you received your first dose, um, it's likely to be asymptomatic or mild disease. Dr. Tam Russo is with us, and we have a, a text question as well, Doc, about uh, the vaccine. Uh, this person is asking if, uh, if they can get the vaccine if they're allergic to shellfish. The answer is yes. They could get the vaccine if they have seasonal allergies, any sort of food allergies. That is not a contraindication. Um, if you've had a severe reaction to shellfish, it would uh, probably be prudent that you, after vaccination, uh, hang out for, uh, you know, at least 20 to 30 minutes or so, just to make sure and the unlikely chance that you don't have any adverse reaction that, of course, we could treat on site uh, with some um, uh, medications. Um, but yes, fruit allergies, seasonal allergies, allergies to animals are not a, a contraindication, and we do not believe that puts you in increased risk for allergic reaction, you know, above, uh, you know, that of the general population. Dr. Russo, tonight is the big game, and I know a lot of people are worried about uh, surge like we saw around the holidays. Do you think the surge will be that, um, that steep, or... Do you think more people, because it's not Christmas, it's not Thanksgiving, more people are probably going to stay home for the game tonight? <laughs> well, I'm hoping more people will behave <laughs> on and that, you know, instead of gathering with their friends, uh, they'll, you know, uh, be doing uh, some FaceTime, some Zooming, you know, doing some text challenges in terms of predictions. You can make all sorts of fun games with your friends, even at sort of a, a distance. Um, but if we've learned anything, unfortunately, there is a segment of the population that is, does what they want regardless. 
I guess the only silver lining in that, and obviously we're discouraging that, you know, the curves are going in a great direction, as Brenda pointed out. Let's keep it going, right? We don't want any setbacks. Uh, but also the number of people that have generally had bad behavior all along and have been, you know, not paying any attention to these public rules, health rules, probably a lot of them got infected already at this point as well. So uh, I'm not encouraging bad behavior, but I'm hoping that those people that do misbehave, at least they'll have some protection on board and, and blunt the impact uh, if they do gather with their friends. Uh, you know, obviously indoors, a long period of time with poor ventilation in our households designed to keep heat in, et cetera. And, you know, food and drink will be involved without masks is, is a real breeding ground for the new coronavirus. All right. Now, I used the football question to set up another football question. And I know this is more of a prediction because no one knows what's going to happen the next few months. But if we see vaccines pick up, if we see more arms getting jabbed, do you think when the Bills kick off next season, there will be somewhat close to a full crowd uh, able at Bill Stadium? Yeah, I think that's likely. So, you know, here's the message. I think our curves are going to continue to go down for all the reasons that we already discussed. And then we're going to get into the warmer weather. So we know as we shift activities outdoors, you know, that's much more forgiving, and we saw that this last summer, where that'll keep the number of infections down. The key thing is we need to get that vaccine into that 75, 80% plus number of individuals. If we do that, that should really protect us against a fall winter surge, which could occur if we don't hit that herd immunity number. So um, um, if we could get that done, Um, I think that we've got a pretty good chance to start to get back to where we were before this whole mess began. Oh, it seems like a lifetime ago, doesn't it, doctor? (laughs) My gosh, it does, doesn't it? Yes, yes. I'm so looking forward to going to a Bills game. And speaking of football, you know, I'm an an avid sports fan, as is Joe. And it always kind of gets me when I see the, the shot of the sideline with the coaches with their masks under their nose. And it's like, after all this time, people still aren't wearing masks properly. Do you notice that too, Dr. Russo? Yeah, we're doing better, but those below the noses will drive you nuts. So you might see it yeah. in the produce <laughs> section in the supermarket as well, right? So yes. that or yeah. quality masks, right? The bandanas and the gaiters are still sort of lingering out there, you know. And so um, if you're going to mask, please, you know, wear those high-quality masks. Wear them correctly with a good fit. Not only protect yourself but to protect others in our community here. And as we wrap up, who, do you, who are you rooting for tonight? <laughs> that's, a, that's a tough one. Uh, I could tell you who I think is going to win. <laughs> I kind of <laughs> like, like Kansas City. Um, I think if the Bills uh, had uh, made it, I think they would have had a really good chance against uh, Tampa, and I'm hoping maybe uh, uh, next year for the Bills. Uh, but I think Kansas City is an outstanding team, and uh, – and the Bills ran into really uh, some of the best players in the league, but they're going to continue to get better. And I think Kansas City is really going to show how good they are tonight. Uh, but, hey, you never know. That's true. That's what makes it so much fun. Well, I'm with you. Go, KC, anybody but Brady. Dr. Tom Russo, thank you so much, as always, for your time on the show. Stay safe, and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, my pleasure. Great chatting with you guys. Thank you so much. Dr. Tom Russo from the UB School of Medicine. He is the Chief of Infectious Services. Much more to come on Hardline. We've got another half hour and we'll shift gears and talk about the uh, restaurant curfew that was lifted for some restaurants right here in Erie County. 
Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. And welcome back to Hardline on this Sunday morning. A little food for thought coming up now is the curfew that's still in effect for most bars and restaurants, uh, unless they were a party to the lawsuit that had uh, about 90 area restaurant bars, taverns, and even strip clubs have been given permission to keep their doors open past the state's 10 p.m. curfew law. And we're here to talk about that with Glen Park Tavern co-owner Ellie Grenauer. Good morning, Ellie. Good morning, Brenda. Nice to have you join us uh, yet again. And it seems like every time we turn around, there's something new happening with these curfews. Were you one of the 90 restaurants that uh, were were part of the litigation? I was not. um, But I do give them all a lot of credit. Um, You know, I was very doubtful in the beginning. Not not on the curfew, but more on the uh, getting the zones lifted. And I thought they did a great job. And, um, you know, we were fortunate enough that it ended up being good for all restaurants, uh, unlike the curfew. So how has this impacted uh, what you're currently doing, Ellie? I think for us, you know, we're not a club, so we're we're a tavern. Um, For us, where it hurts is I can't get that last seating in, right? So if I seat you at nine o'clock, I'm rushing you out the door by 10. So, um, you know, that's where the curfew hurts us. There are many, many businesses though, like the Irishman, you know, that caters to a younger crowd that a lot of them don't even go out to eat till nine o'clock, you know? So, right. and so it's definitely, you know, hurt, hurt their business considerably, you know, with us, by the time, because you have to have food when you serve alcohol, you know, um, for our clients, you know, by nine o'clock, they don't want to eat anymore. <laughs> They're done. <laughs> it's just too late. Uh, well, what do you say to that, Ellie, when somebody says, well, they want to, you know, you have to have something to eat with what you order. Do you feel like that's just undue pressure on you as if there isn't enough pressure right now because of all the restrictions? How difficult has that been for you? Well, it's been a challenge. Um, You know, 
the flip side is it does bring in some more income. Um, but it's really hard to tell a customer, you know, sorry, you have to order some kind of food with that drink. <laughs> um, so we, we, you know, like most places, we came up with a bar menu that's not as expensive, um, you know, that's easier to eat while you're, you know, sitting at the bar having a drink. Um, so we've, you know, worked around it like most other restaurants have too. You know, you know being in, in the business and seeing what's gone on, right? The uh, indoor dining, that went away. The curfew has now been ruled against. Do you think the food with drink is the next thing that is going to be either brought to court or either going to not be enforced uh, by New York State? Do you think that's the next thing coming down the line? Um, it would definitely, you know, it would. It, it has potential. But I think, you know, for all of us, Joe, right now, we just want to be open. Like, just open us up, you know. Let us put in the proper barriers. Let us you know, keep people safe, but we need to be open. I mean, the industry is really hurting. Um, and at 50%, but look at New York City, poor New York City, 25%. How do you make any money at 25%? If they told me 25%, I'd, I'd be takeout only. You know, 25% is 24.25 people for me, you know. And not a viable number to stay in business, obviously, Ellie. Uh, what would you say is the closest you've come to uh, shutting down? Has it been that close for the Glen Park Tavern? It was pretty scary this last shutdown. It was pretty scary. You know, you, you reach a point where you say, I mean, we were basically open, you know, just paying our staff, keeping our staff alive and their families alive, you know, um, which is good. I was proud that we could do that. But if it kept going, you know, you have to stop the bleed at some point, right? You right. can't just keep losing money. Um, so it's come at great expense personally and, and financially to us at the Glen Park Tavern. Um, so this last shutdown was, it, I was close. I was really close to just saying, let's close the doors till, you know, we can, um, we can actually open up at, at full capacity. So. I, uh, who would have who would have ever thought you'd be talking about that? But Ellie, um, the the State Restaurant Association is a pretty powerful entity. Uh, what kind of uh, advice, help, uh, encouragement have you gotten from the association? Well, in full disclosure, I'm on the board, so um, I've I personally have been involved with helping, you know, um, set the issues that we're going to really push. Um, right now, they're taking on the curfew. The problem with the association, and, you know, as a board, we've had a discussion about lawsuits. The problem is that we represent so many people in so many different areas of New York State that we can't just fight Western New York's battle. You know, we have to fight the whole, we have to come up with issues that affect everyone in the whole state. Um, so, you know, that that's that's a little bit, hard for people to understand um but you know we can't just pick a group of members and say okay we're going to fight your battle just for you <laughs> right right well what can they do to help you though i mean do they offer financial assistance or you know it's it's something that all of new york state is facing because you know ellie we talk so much about the the downstate upstate or you know how new york city really controls the entire state and I wonder, with a state restaurant association, is it equitable? Does it cover people across the board in an equal manner? Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, it, 
the New York City people are in way worse of a position than we are right now um, be, because they're only at 25% or they're not even open at 25% yet. That's coming next week. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, the issues that they've, they've helped with um, keeping alcohol to go because um, many people – law enforcement and other agencies are thinking that they don't like that, you know? So we're really pushing hard for that. We're pushing hard to uh, get the curfew lifted. Um, And that affects everyone, the curfew. Um, We pushed hard in the beginning for getting, you know, uh, the other areas outside of New York city at 50% and not at 25%. So, but it's a struggle, Brenda. I mean, we're representing a whole bunch of different people. They're not just representing New York City. You know, right. anything, they've hardly helped New York City. Right. Well, I guess they must feel like their hands are tied to some extent, though. Yeah, they are. I mean, you know, not to draw political lines, but there's a lot of Democrats in New York City, and they are, do not want restaurants open. So they're pushing really hard to keep them closed. And we're trying to push back to at least give them something, you know, so. And to me, I mean, this is a little bit of commentary, but to me, it still doesn't make sense. I mean, the state's own science showed that places, you know, restaurants and bars did not lead to the the spread of COVID-19. I mean, it was their own science, and it seems like they're doing everything in their power to limit the uh, what you guys can do. Uh, I do want to ask, since the um, indoor dining ban had been lifted, how has business picked back up? Are people eager to get out? Are people, um, are, are you hitting that capacity limit? Oh, yeah. For us, it's been great. Knock on wood. You know, we are very fortunate. Um, you know, now it's the balance between trying to manage takeout and the people in your restaurant, because takeout's still strong, too. Um, so for us, it was like a, you know, complete 180, you know, we opened up and financially there was some relief. Um, you know, it, it really, it's definitely helped being open, but, and, you know, we're better at, at, um, balancing takeout and indoor because we already had experience doing it, you know? So I'm, I'm wondering for tonight for the, for the big game, since I can't say the name of the game for the big game, are you expecting a good crowd? No, we're actually closed today. And oh, okay. Normally closed for the Super Bowl, um, for the big game, um, because we <laughs> are not a sports bar. We're a tavern. And, yeah, we have TVs and stuff, but it's not a big day for us. It's not like a, a pizzeria. I think that this is like Christmas for them. Uh, you know, if the Super Bowl is such a big deal, I guess I, I'm saying the name here. You know, with- uh, Ellie, uh, b- by the way, Ellie, I did want to ask you, too, you know, we've talked to you over the past several months about this, and I know you improvised uh, the best you could. I mean, you set up tables outside in your parking lot. You did what you could while the weather was nice. Uh, just a ballpark figure about how much you've had to invest in the safety protocols, uh, all the sanitizing systems, all of the cleaning, uh, the partitions. Uh, what has that been like for you in the past year? It's been about a Thirty to thirty-five thousand dollar investment and ongoing. You know, it keeps going up. I mean, we have to get, you know, keeping the sanitizing stations going and and the gloves, which we purchase anyways. But more people are wearing the gloves now. Um, 
so yeah, and, and then you know the tent and the equipment for outside, and it's it's ongoing, you know. And now, do you plan on good night? Do you plan on doing that again come March, April, when the weather starts to break? Yeah, well, we're we're probably looking at making a bigger investment and getting more of a real patio out there, and not just our, you know, parking lot with a tent. <laughs> so right, which you know right. a lot of places are, and you know it brings up. Uh, you know, I know restaurants that are putting on a second kitchen just to handle takeout, you know, because they see this as the way of the future for a while. Yeah, that I was. Guess, oh, I'm sorry, Brenda. Go ahead, Joe. No, that was my question. You know, obviously a lot of negatives from this pandemic. But what have you have you had anything like the patio that you've realized? Okay, post pandemic, this is still going to be a big deal. Uh, this will still be a popular option for customers. Yeah. Yes. All of us are thinking that, you know, we think, you know, we've all kind of, you know, reinvented um, what takeout means to the restaurant. You know, once upon a time, takeout was maybe 5% of my sales. Now it's almost 50% of my sales. And I don't think that's going away real fast. So yes, many people are saying, okay, well, you know, let's take advantage of this. Let's, um, make it so that if we ever are in this situation again, we're ready. Um, let's market that part of our business. Um, and, you know, of course, patios are a big deal. I think more and more people, it's, it was amazing that Buffalo people were sitting out in the snow at Braidsmith, you know, eating. It, it was great, <laughs> you know. That, but, you know, I think the general public is rethinking it too. And they're saying, well, it's not so bad to do this. We are in Buffalo. It does snow. You know, we got a heater, you got your warm your warm clothes on or jacket, and so you eat outside. You know, a BYOB has a whole new meaning. It's bring your own blanket now. <laughs> exactly. I came like that. Ellie, bring your own blanket. Uh, <laughs> Ellie, we had uh, Dr. Tom Russo on earlier in the show, and we talked a lot about the vaccines and the whole vaccination process. And so many people over the age of 65 have been able to get a vaccine. Uh, and I'm wondering now, having been in your restaurant numerous times, you really have a wide demographic of people from, you know, younger folks to seniors. Mm-hmm. Have you heard from a lot of senior customers who say, hey, you know, I can finally come in here and not be worried because I got my vaccinations? Have you, are you seeing that? Oh, that's kind of funny. Well, you know, people are really proud. The older people are like, hey, I'm vaccinated, you know. <laughs> um, and my parents who are in their 80s, they were fortunate enough to be able to get it. I know there's still people, though, struggling you know, um, to actually get the vaccine who are 65 and above. Um, so that's a little bit of a challenge, you know, and for us, we're looking forward to having that taken care of so that, you know, the the restaurant workers and those people on the front line can then step up and start getting their uh, vaccinations. No doubt about it. Ellie, uh, we really appreciate you coming on today, updating us. Thank you for your flexibility and our scheduling that's been a little fluid today. Uh, Thanks a million for coming on. We wish you the best uh, as we continue to navigate the coronavirus. Talk to you soon. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Have a good day. Thank you. You too. Enjoy the the big game. Uh, Brenda, you know, I went out last night. Um, right down the street, actually, from Glen Park Tavern. Walked, uh, walked around Main Street in Williamsville, and it was nice to see people out. And one thing I didn't see, 
I didn't see people being irresponsible. You know, even passing on Main Street, I saw people with their masks on. But it was just nice to see people out, people at local establishments. I mean, you looked in the window of these establishments. They were, you know, obviously with precautions, but there were people there, people enjoying themselves. And uh, it was a really nice sight to see uh, the place, the local businesses thriving on a Saturday evening. It feels like you're doing something normal, doesn't it? It just yeah. feels so good to get out and walk around and... Uh, I'll tell you, Joe, the things that I miss most are going out to eat because uh, I always enjoy the dining scene in Western New York, which uh, I think is a huge part of the fabric of our society here in Western New York. And for a city the size of Buffalo, I'd put up our, our cuisine against big cities anytime. I just think that the food scene here has evolved greatly. And it's a real pleasure to enjoy the work of so many talented chefs, whether it's a, a little dive or a gastropub or a fine dining experience. Uh, the, the, place in around, the places around Western New York are just tremendous with their versatility. So I miss that a lot. I miss going to sporting events, going to a Sabres game or even to a Bills game or hanging out with people to watch a game. Um, so there's so many things that have been taken away from us during this coronavirus, but uh, I can't complain too much because, I, I, you know, you talk to people like Kevin Hardwick this morning who lost neighbors and friends, and it's, it's really tough to deal with that. So it pales in comparison, certainly, to talk about, you know, not being able to go out to eat or go to a sporting event or go to a movie when people have lost their lives and people are working, you know, untold hours, uh, first responders and people on the front line. We're, we're inconvenienced. Uh, it's weird working from home for almost a year now. But we've adjusted, and I guess that's uh, my point here, having said all this, is that there is a way to adjust and to make things work the best we can uh, and try to limit the rhetoric and the vitriol of people who disagree with us. Um, I think that our point in this show is really to show and point out information and try to talk to experts who are navigating through these unknown waters as well. And Brenda, I think what's also important, yes, we've been able to adjust, but to just always know this isn't forever, right? We are there will we will get back to normal. This is not forever. We have people working 24/7 on more vaccines, on newer vaccines. As Dr. Russo said, adjusting vaccines to deal with the new variants. So this isn't forever. And, and, you know, that's something that I've had to keep telling myself. I mean, obviously, last fall was different for me not doing my road trips. Like you said, it pales in comparison to the real heartache people are going through. And, you know, you, you have to put that into um, you, you got to put everything into perspective. Um, but I, I think to help mentally get through this, just to keep telling yourself this isn't forever and normal is on the horizon um, just a few more months and, you know, really talking people into getting that vaccine. Right. And, you know, the four words that my parents would tell me sometime or friends, uh, if you're going through a rough time, this too shall pass. And yep. it is something to keep in mind, Joe, um, because it can be overwhelming if you think that it's never ending. And I think, you know, the winter uh, for me adds to that where it's more confining than ever and more isolating. But, you know, make an effort to get out, get outside on a sunny day like today and take a walk and enjoy the, the, the prettiness of the snow, the beauty of the winter when you can uh, and make the best of it. So, you know, I'd love to know how people are, are really uh, dealing with this, what their thoughts are as we continue now almost a full year into it. 803-0930. We still have a few minutes left in the show and I'd uh, love to hear your comments about 
uh, how you're navigating through the coronavirus, what you thought of the two controller candidates that we had on, Lynn Dixon and Kevin Hardwick, and uh, what Dr. Tom Russo had to say. And a small business owner like Ellie Grenauer, I think it really uh, reflects the struggles that they've had. And yet, Joe, as you and Ellie point out, there's plenty of positives that came from it. They've adjusted their, their work model. And they've also been able to uh, find a different model that works in terms of takeout for the restaurant industry. Right. I mean, as she said, when this started and a lot of restaurants first went to just takeout, it, it wasn't viable. It wasn't making them business. But when you put that you put that now with having indoor dining as well, um, it's actually a whole other means. And I mean, she said 50% of her business right now is takeout. Now, I think obviously when we get back to normal, that'll go down, but I don't think it's going down to the 5% she was talking about. I, I think a lot of restaurants are going to see that 30 40% takeout. Uh, you've got the food delivery services that aren't going away. They get even more popular as time goes on. Um, so, yes. A, a lot of negatives, and I'm I'm happy. I'll be happy when COVID nineteen is either a thing of the past or something that we can deal with without the death rate. Um, but I think for small businesses, for restaurants, to see okay, we have this other option now to make money. It, it really, in the end, it was um, they were able to find something to add to their model. Right. Right. Yeah, and, and the information is key, and that's why it's important to keep it locked on a station like WBEN, where the focus has been very much over the past few weeks about COVID over the past few months. Um, but also, we had so much political talk to get into as well. But, you know, this is the place, and if you have suggestions about guests that you'd like Joe and I to book on our show, let us know. Uh, we like going to people who are objective and informative, and that's the whole point of the show. Uh, Joe, so I'm sure next week we'll talk more COVID and coronavirus uh, mixed in with a, a little stew of politics as well. Oh, I'm sure, Brenda. We got 30 seconds left. I got to know. Big game tonight. You already said you're pulling for Kansas City. Oh, big time. Big and time. I, yeah, I, I can't pull for Tom Brady. I think you heard uh, the debate we had on David's show earlier this week. Um, I, I, I never didn't like Tom Brady. I just, I don't like the Patriots. I don't like Bill Belichick. I think Tom Brady winning a Super Bowl without the Patriots is going to hurt more for New England fans and for Bill Belichick, who couldn't even get to 500 this season, than it's that it should hurt Bills fans. I would, and the end of the Kansas City game left a bad taste in my mouth. I'm sorry it did. So I am all about Tom Brady getting ring number seven tonight. Well, I think he is the goat. He is definitely the greatest of all time, Joe. But if you're that good, why do you have to cheat? And I just can't get past the whole cheating scandal with him. But was it him or was it the team? Was he just doing the work of the team? Uh, you know, the the deflated balls and uh, the, all the other scandals, it just left a, a bad taste in my mouth. And I'm a diehard Bills fan, and he's crushed us. <laughs> he's crushed our spirit so many times. I blame the front <laughs> office at the time, not the current front office. I blame the front office of those teams more than I blame New England. You know, the, the Bills just, I mean, Brenda, we sat through some really rough years with that team. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I, I understand your point, but I'm still pulling for KC. Uh, I really like Andy Reid as a coach and a person. It'll be interesting to see uh, how much of a distraction his son being involved in a very serious uh, automobile accident uh, will impact what happens with the game. Uh, but we'll see. It's fun. There's at least some good storylines to look forward to and hopefully some good commercials as well. And a great halftime show. I'm, I'm predicting that. The weekend has a, a great list of uh, music, and I can't wait to see that performance at halftime. Brenda, we will be back here same time next Sunday. 
You bet. Have fun uh, this week and tonight in particular, Joe, and look forward to talking with everybody next Sunday at 10. Thanks to everybody who listened and texted in. Go, Casey.